Hey, good morning, Christian Lehman. How you guys ever doing? I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just so, it's just good to be with family. Um, my name is On. I'm, I'm on staff here at Christian Lehman Church, and uh, I, I serve our community. I serve our family here, and I just have the opportunity just to, just to be with you this morning. And, you know, basketball to me when I was growing up, it, it was something that, uh, I was immersed in it. Um, I grew up in the Eastside San Jose. I couldn't afford to go AAU or Boys and Girls Club or YMCA. I just went to the place called across the street from my house to play basketball. And the rim wasn't crooked. The rim was broken down. So I would shoot the ball with the rim facing like literally horizontal. But it didn't matter. I was playing basketball. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, every single major incident uh, has come from basketball. Uh, I got bit by a dog playing basketball. Uh, I tried to dunk on a rim with a chain net. My finger got caught. I got seven stitches from that. Um, the day before I was to propose to surprise Yichan by proposing to her, my best friend Kirk was like, "On, I don't, I don't think you should play basketball today, bro. Like, it's, it's tomorrow. Like, no, no, Kirk, it's all good, man. Let's go play ball. We go and play. The last, the last score of the game, I caught an elbow to the eye. Seven stitches the day before. I proposed to you, Chan. So when I asked her to marry me, my eyes were pussing red and stitches and it was swollen. Every single injury that I've ever had was from basketball. And it was just, it was just, just fitting that um, one day that I became an official. I, I, just, I just enjoy basketball so, so much that I got to refereeing. So I've been calling the game of basketball for the last 13 years. And I remembered just being a part of this game. And being part of the game of basketball, there's so much going on. It's just tremendous. Now, you probably wonder, how did you even get trained to be an official? Well, I went to a training camp. And from that camp, from middle school camp, I got picked up from middle school. My first year officiating, I excelled so much. I went from middle school to high school to adult league. And I remember I was already doing a little bit of junior college scrimmages my first year. And I went to a camp called Jerry E. Scott Camp in Bakersfield to, to, to move up. I was like, you know, if I could do this, if I could call the game of basketball, then why not go to college? Why not try collegiate? Why not try D1, D2, D3, be part of the big sky, the Pac-10, when I was called Pac-12 now, or whatever it is, Mountain West. And that camp humbled me so much to know that my last call as an official is my best call. Didn't matter where I was coming from, who I was, or more importantly, what I did. And the game of official is all about what? The game of official is about managing a game. You have authority, responsibility, and duties. And in the game, there's the players, there's the fans, the court, the pregame, the coaches, um, and more importantly, just the game itself. And I just remember that in any kind, of ga- any kind of basketball game out there, there's always a moment called a defining moment in the game where as an official, as a crew, that when we call this game, they either the game could be won or lost, depends on if we make that call for that defining moment that leads to other calls, or we don't make that call so that it will lead to other calls. Now, as an official, I think that we're all officials, in my opinion. And so, rather, you're on the court or off the court. And here's the thing. I think a lot of times when you think of an official on TV, you're sitting on the couch eating potato chips, wearing your glasses, you're like, you know what, I can make that call. If I was there... I could do it. Or you're probably the ones in the gym, like on the third row or second row, like, you know what, that's a bad call. You stink, ref, you know. And, you know, and, and all these, like, crazy allergies. And not so- a lot of times when I'm officiating the game, 
the noise, the pressure, the background, the drop, it's, I'm in a zone. I don't hear anything. I'm just on the court calling a game that I really enjoy. Like. Now, when I call a game, it's about I actually want to be there. I actually want to officiate the game. It's not just because I'm just there wearing zebra stripes. I want to run up and down the courts and looking, you know, eh. But I'm intact. I'm in it. I want to be here. So I'm going to give you right now, you probably want to, what happens in a basketball game? What, what usually kind of occurs and, 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 and begins and all that? So some of you are players here. Some of you know officials. Some of you have been in the game. Some of you have seen it. And what we're going to do is we're going to have some efficient signals for you, okay? So we're going to keep that up there. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little pregame of what happens in the game, okay? So this is what happens. I usually come in the court, okay? I come in the court. Uh, there's, there's usually a table right here. I'll check in the table list if there's the proper numbers, the players, the coaches. Okay, so I'm, I'm fully dressed from head to toe in my gear, okay? So you usually see an official. We'll start off in the center court, and they'll be right here. They'll just look. They'll chill. For me, I like to laugh a lot and talk to my other officials. So you see me smiling, okay? I'm just like, you know, hanging out. You know, look at the players. If they don't have any crazy stuff on their arms or their head or else or not. And then from there, we go into calling the captains. Usually there's uh, a crew, there's the lead official, okay, and then there is the referee. The referee is the person that's in charge of the crew, whether it's a two-person or three-person. So the players are warming up, the book's good, and I'll, call, I'll, I'll run up to the center court on either side, and I'll say, captains, captains, you know, if, it, if it's Amador, Amador captains, Delmar, Delmar captains, they'll come to the center court. Now the players come, and we, we do this all season long, this is their faces like this. They're coming on untucked and whatever. So I make it quick because, you know, whatever I say to them, they don't care. They're probably not going to listen anyways. They're supposed to be your captains, right? So they'll come in. I'll be like, what's going on, players? All I care about, play hard, work hard for you. Any questions? They'll look at me and say no. All right, I say, captains, you're all my spokescaps. All I care about is sportsmanship. That's it. And I walk away. Some players, obviously, they try to, you know, Smile at me or give me a high five, try, try and get that little edge, you know, or, you know, they'll, they'll look at me. Especially, I don't know why, all the Asian players, okay, just look at me like, hey, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> yo, I look at them, I'm like, you ain't Jeremy Lin, dude. Like, just chill out, man, no. So, right when the game starts, right when the game starts, they're in the court, we'll call a game. I have the game ball. Right the game ball comes right here. I come to the center. As they're entering in, now when you enter the game, Right when the game starts, I hold the ball, every position stops. Don't move. Don't move. One whistle, one bounce, I'm going to throw it up. Okay? So, but obviously before I throw it up, i got to remove my jacket, of course. And so, now, this is where um, it, gets, it gets a little interesting. So, I'll, I'll, I'll put my jacket on the side. And I come in the middle right here. I'll say, players, one bounce and one toss. And I have my whistle. So, obviously, my whistle is right here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it. So this is going to be really loud, okay? So I want to kind of hold you a little bit. I say, players, one whistle, one bounce. I'll toss it up. The reason why when I toss it, I keep my hands right here. I'm dealing with a lot of tall players. So if they try to whack the ball, I don't want them to whack my face, okay? I'll keep my hands right here so that they whack me, they'll whack my hand, I'll get out of the way, okay? Now, usually during the course of the game, okay, I'll have a lot of things going on, okay? So this is just what happens, okay, during the game, okay? So I'll be, I'll be reffing the game like, hands up, players, hands up, 2-4, two, 2-4, four, two, four. hands up, hands up, out of the paint, out of the paint. Go to the side. No, coach, ain't a foul. No, it's not a foul. Look, if I see it, I'll call it a foul for you, okay? That's what it is, right? So they were playing. 
they were playing, they were playing. And this record gets really more interesting, there's fouls, right? When a foul happens, usually there's a, it's a violation or it's a shooting foul. So right now we'll go, we'll go with shooting foul, okay? They're playing. So this is a foul right here. I'll go to the table report. White, 43, hit, two shots, two. So I'll walk back table side. Once I walk table side, the coach is right there, chewing my ear out. So I'll be like, hey, man, that's not a foul. Well, he does and. Well, if by accident, it's, it's still a foul. And so I'll be watching the game right here while that's going on. And so the game of basketball is always about, and, you know, not about the official, but it's about the players that's going to play to make the game so that we can call the game. And so right now for you, I want you to everyone stand up. You're going to be my officials today. We're going to do just two calls. I, I promise you I won't blow a whistle, okay? I won't blow a whistle anymore, right? So the first one, all right, the first one, okay, is you're going to stop the clock. Any single time that you're going to see an official stop the clock, they're going to raise their hand straight up right here. And their, their, their thumb is inside right here. And they'll stop the clock. So if I want to stop the clock, I'll blow my whistle and I'll stop the clock right here. Now, I see some crooked hands like right here and like right here. And like, no, it's, just, it's all the way straight up right here, okay. That's where it is. All right. Now, the next call I'm going to give you is it's a foul. A foul is pretty simple. You're going to raise your hand straight up. It's kind of like fight the power, right? But, but not, not lean this way or that way, or like Superman, okay? It's just straight up. This is a foul right here. All right, this is a foul, okay? And the one that I like the most, okay, it's called a player block troll foul. It's basically an offensive foul, okay? So when this happens is that on a player's offensive foul, they run to the player, they're on offense. And so what I'll do is that you got to stop the clock. Show me stop the clock. All right, here you go. Stop, come on, stop the clock. All right, and then we're going to put the same hand back of her head right here, and then we we'll go right here, Okay? So not a fist, okay, not like, this is not like some kind of crazy Kung Pao move, all right, Ethan, or a dance move, okay, all right. It's right here, you're going to stop the clock, all right here, and go this way, all right. So if we're going to do it fast, okay, you have a seat now, okay. If you want to see me do it fast, this is how it works for a foul. This is a foul right here, all right. We're going to stop the clock, right here, all right. Now this is the player control, okay. So they're playing, they're playing, playing. No, 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 other way. Okay, they'll go other way, okay. Now, when I think about... Officiating, I think about, you know, just the rules and duties comes along with it, right? Hey, so today's message, we're going in the book of John, and we're continuing our series in just John. And the cool thing about John is that we're looking at getting the gospel out there. Life's too short, and the gospel is just good not to sit on the sideline. And today's message is called, I'm so official, okay? And I think that, honestly, today, when we're going to John 4, 43 to 56, we're going to talk about, what it means to be an official, and we're actually going to talk about an official. So do me a favor, turn your Bibles to me to John uh, 4, 43 to 54. We'll have it on the screen too, but if you have a Bible, you want to share it, uh, by all means. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. And if you want to share it with someone next to someone, go ahead and do that too. Um, let's pray. Hey, Lord, I thank you for this time. Maybe we'll come before you just to be in your house as we go into your word. May your word uh, dwell in our hearts because... Our hearts need you. And without you, it's, it's merely nothing. Amen. Today, I'm with you on a journey that we want, I, we want, to, want you to value God's word. Not only want you to value God's word, but we want you to take joy in God's word. And there's something that he has for you, it's, it's in, and it's free 99. The salvation is for you, and it's free. As a matter of fact, it's so free that you couldn't give it away enough times. And this is what we want to do. We want you to take in the gospel, the good news, the words, and more importantly, why should we be joyful about what we're going to do for him? 
Jesus heals an official son. It says this, after two days he left Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no water in his own town, own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem and at the Passover festival. For they also had been there. Verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son laid sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you would never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servant met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired to the time when his son got better, they answered him, yesterday at, the, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This is the second sign Jesus performed after coming into Judea to Galilee. Now the Gospel of John is pretty simple. The Gospel of John is about salvation. It's about faith. It's not really about works. It's all about faith. And what's crazy about this is that the story of this, this unofficial who was a nobleman, who was royalty, and there's debate of whether he was part of King Herod's crew or Caesar's crew, but he, he was a guy with a lot of authority. He was official. He had responsibilities and duties. And more importantly, too, what makes him unique is that the official's authority and power allowed him to have defining moments, too, in his position. He had defining moments where he had made calls that either equipped a country or a certain sector or a certain group of people. He made them without even thinking sometimes or on his own demeanor or advice. But this story has something a little more different. This story was about a father with a dying son. It was his story. And more importantly, too, what about you? What are, what are some defining moments in your life right now that you're struggling to thinking about making, whether to make the call or not? And I look out in this room. It could be your career. Is it, about, is, it, is it dating? Is it getting married? Is it your job? Is it just schooling? Is it a decision you made last week that was so dumb that you wish to take it back? Or for some of you, is it your parents? Is it your future? For me, I know for a fact, it's my children. How do I continue to love and serve my wife and my two daughters in this crazy, crazy world? And I struggle with that. I'm trying to figure out what are moments in my life that's going to define what I do because it affects them or for them. Now, I provide some space for you in your handouts. And these handouts are for you to do whatever you want. You want to doodle, you want to draw, origami, whatever you want to do, I don't care. You want to throw it at me, which is totally fine. I'm so used to that as an official, okay? I just remember one time as an official, I was at St. Francis calling a boys varsity schedule. And so my schedule now, after 13 years of calling the game, I've done every single level possible before going to collegiate. And I said no, going to collegiate because this is one thing. I'd be away from home, I'd be away from ministry, and more importantly, I'd be away from my family. The official's duties and training is rigorous. It is insane. For me to go to from high school to junior college, there's camps all summer I would go to. I hope I would get picked up. 
film reviews, sessions, and then I would get audition for other places. And my first assignments as a junior college official would take me three, four, six hours away from my home base just to, just to officiate a JC college game. If you thought girls' middle school basketball was terrible, you probably might think the same thing about junior college basketball too. And I said no. Oh, I said, are you sure you want to try for Are you sure you want to go to the next level? I saw guys I worked with going to the next, next, next level. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a little bit of jealousy. I could do that. I could be there. But it just never happened. And, I, and there are certain decisions I made that I didn't want to move forward. I didn't want to go on. Now, that's space for you to write whatever you want. That's what the Lord speaks. Now, here's the thing. Today's main point is pretty simple. I'm going to give it to you right now. Because either I'm going to give it to you now, I'm going to forget. Or you're like, well, what the heck was on the main point? I'd be like, I don't know either, okay? So here's the main point. Stop being the official in your life and let God make the calls. Stop being the official in your life and let God make the calls. I know what you're thinking. You're like, there's this crazy Vietnamese guy up there wearing zebra stripes and he's telling me, that God has to be the official in my life. You're like, you're like you don't know me. You don't know where I've been or who I am or what I've been through. And you, some of you are like, well, some of you are saying, well, you know what? I, I like to call my own game. I have my own rules. I have my own things that I want to do for myself, not you. And some of you here probably think, you know what? Who is even God? If you're asking who's even God, then maybe today is a good time for you to actually ask God to come in your life. Get to know him. Some of you saying that, you know what, God is like, I, I'm done with God. Like, I, I, I try to let him reign in my life. I'm, I'm just, I'm finished. I, I don't want to do it anymore. Well, maybe for you, maybe you didn't work hard enough to have God in your life. Maybe, maybe, maybe also if you're done with him, God is not, definitely not done with you. Did you ever think about that? He's definitely not done with you. I, there's a ball here, and I'm going to pass it around with uh, a marker. And this ball is not going to be used for, for balling. But this ball is going to be used around for today that you heard that the king, the Messiah, our God, wants to be the official for your life. And when you sign this ball, rather you choose to have him in your life or not, that's, that's, that's up to you. But that signature doesn't mean that you're going to have him call your life. But that signature is going to remind us as a church here and you that you know that he wants to call your life. And it's up to you to accept that or not. And that's okay if you don't. When I call a basketball game, there are many calls that the coach does not accept. And either if he wants to keep talking about it, I could penalize him by giving him a technical foul. Okay? Or you know what I would do as I got older in my game is I walk a little farther away from him. A little farther away from him. And I don't hear him. I don't bait him. Because the game is much more than about the coach. It's about the whole game itself. So I'm going to pass this around. You sign on your own leisure. I just want your, just your signature, just your name. I don't, one of these days, you might be famous, right? And so I don't know, right? I might, I might pawn this off something. So as this has been passed around, you know, I, there, there's a group of people that have stories that, um, that I wanted to hear. And I know them because I met with them personally, hung out with them, had coffee, boba, whatever it is. And I really enjoy their wisdom. I enjoy their stories and who they are. And I'm going to call up this panel this panel is going to talk a little bit about the story that we just heard about the official. And so the panel, if you know who you are, I want you to come up. So, so my, my little squad of panel, uh, this, these tools are ready for you here. 
And so I'm going to call them up. So can we give a hand to our panelists coming up? Hey, panelists, so you're going to sit in order. So I need the, uh, the faith person is going to sit in the front, uh, the first seat, the sickness person, the hope person, and then lastly, salvation. So you probably know some of these good-looking people. They're a part of young adults and also our college ministry. I have had the amazing, blessed opportunity just to get to know them in their own quirky, crazy, weird, strange ways. Uh, I think that some of these people, I, we have heated debates or disagreements. Some of these people, they have left our church and came back because, I, you know, I, I want to be here. Some of these people, they're like, I don't know who you are on, why am I having lunch with you. Like, it's really weird, but sure. So for this panel... There are four things that we talked about today in this passage. Talk about faith, sickness, hope, and salvation. And we're going to use their expertise. This is their wisdom today. So today, if you get nothing from me today, all right, which, which you might, okay, and I don't apologize for that because I really don't care, all right, um, you're going to look to these people as your pros. They're going to be the people that's going to have all the information, the facts about this story, about the official. All right, and so we're going to do kind of like panel style. I'm going to ask them questions. They have, they have no idea what I'm going to ask them. They have no idea. I just tell them, look, this is your topic. This is what's going on. And we want you just to be up here and just chill with us and just answer questions. They're like, okay. And I asked them, do you have any questions? And no one replied besides Jeff. And then Jeff was like, can you call me on? I want to make sure that I, I do this right, okay? And so we talked last night at midnight, okay? So, um, so. Uh, I quickly, I just want you to introduce yourself. Uh, wh- where are you in life, and uh, what's your topic for today? Oh, okay. Hi, I'm Christine. Um, I guess in life I'm in college <laughs> at Cal. Go Bears. And uh, I'm talking about faith today. Hello, my name is Laura. I'm also in Cal college. Cal, Cal. Okay. And I am going to be talking about sickness. Hi, I'm Ray. I'm a graduate student at Mills College, and I'll be talking about hope. Hi, I'm Jeff, a former Cal student, working now, uh, talking about salvation. All right, so this time we're going to leave it for you guys uh, on the panel. And this is the panel. So we're, we're this, this, uh, this guy, this official, he's having a struggle with his faith right now. So Christine, so what, uh, what, what, what are some things you find about faith that was relating to this story that you you know, found out? Uh, okay, good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, well, uh, when I heard the word faith, I um, always think about Hebrews 11.1. 1. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not, not seen. Um, and in that book, it talks about all these um, people in the Bible who, um, through faith, were able to do so many things for God. And then even at the end of it, um, they, like, passed away without having any of the things promised to them um, because of their faith. And so in this story, uh, this official has um, faith in Jesus to heal his son. It does. Um, demonstrated by the way he decides to come 20 miles, I believe, um, right. from, like, Cana to Capernaum um, to visit Jesus. And then when Jesus says... Um, go now, your son is healed. He doesn't say, oh, wait, like, Jesus, can you come with me? I just want to make sure. But just believing that Jesus' power could reach all the way that 20 miles to convert him to uh, heal his son. In your opinion, was his faith kind of, like, shaken, kind of 
kind of just not, not fully 100% to Jesus because he, he came to him, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to you, in your opinion, what, what, what made it so weird that he believed in Jesus, but he just wasn't, you know, over that hump yet, you know, to actually fully believe, you know, to have to actually come see Jesus? He, I think just the fact that he had to, like, come all the way to just make sure. And Jesus knew this, too, because he's like, oh, like, all these signs and mirrors, like, if you're coming for that, then I can't, you know. I forget exactly what it says. It's all good. But anyway, in the verse, um, Jesus kind of made this remark that was like, hey, like, your faith needs to come before all these miracles. That's true. Like, these miracles cannot make your faith. No, I agree. I agree. So from his faith, this official had a sick son. And this, his son was to the point that he was going to die. It wasn't like he had, like, a little ouchie on the side, but he was, he was to his deathbed. You know, and Laura, so... Sickness, Laura, what, you know, what, what is sickness that, that we can know about? You know, what, what, what did you find out about sickness, especially on this situation or just in general? So, first of all, um, underlying sickness at this time was a lot of fear because there wasn't, the, medic, the whole um, medical science at the time was pretty much non-existent. If mm. you were sick, you just dealt with it and let it be. Yeah. And so it's sort of, it's understandable how um, the father, whenever he found out that his son was sick, he would run or travel 20 miles just out of fear because if your son is dying, what else can you do except, and you don't want to be there to watch him die. So at the time, um, there there was a lot of disease simply because there's no way for people to treat them. Yeah. There were things from all the way from blindness to uh, leprosy, to from from deafness to plagues and yeah. So as a result, like everyone pretty much had was living in fear of death, and it wasn't very um, uncommon for people to live all up to their 30s and then pass away at the time. And so. Whenever Jesus came at that time, he came at the point of the greatest pain that was existing in the world. Hmm. The point whenever disease was just rampant and you couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And so when Jesus came and he literally could erase disease with just a word or just a touch, it was something that shook the entire world, I suppose. So back then, if you were sick, you didn't go to a quote-unquote doctor because there was probably many few and far. So speculation things that might work or things that could, money could buy. I mean, this was an official. So do you think that he probably exasperated all he can money-wise to be, you know, for his son to give him the best care and nothing worked? Mm-hmm. And what's, what's in your opinion? What, what do you think? Um, of just him doing that. Do you think that that's probably what happened for him to actually come to Jesus? Yeah, I believe um, it took a lot of faith for him to go all that way just, um, when it, just out of Sheer, like he had, it was a lot, it required a lot of faith for him to go and see Jesus just because his son was dying. And I believe, um, yeah, it just required a lot of faith. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you said something that was so key is that back in that time, there, the medical field wasn't as crazy as now where you just go on your web, on your phone, and figure out a certain sickness or disease and then go all crazy about it because you don't really have that because there's symptoms of it that you get all crazy about, right? So from there, we go from faith to sickness, to hope. And Ray, what, what did you find out about hope? That, that, because Jesus, he sounded pretty cruel to this guy. He didn't really sound like the nicest person in the moment, but he gave him hope in a way that, that kind of transpired everything. So for you, what did you find out about hope? So, well, to start off, hope is like something we look forward to, 
but then a lot of times the things we hope for, we don't know if we get it or not. But as Christians, we have something called genuine hope, and it's mm. like something where we are promised, but we don't know when we get it. So like, as like a lot of times we know the verse where, uh, for God to love the world, He sent His one and only Son to die for us, so we may have eternal life. So as Christians, we have this hope, which God has promised, and a lot of time, God promises us things, but we never know we, when we may get it, or sometimes it's not even something we want. And to tie to this example. In this passage, um, the the official had a lot of. Jesus gave the official a lot of hope, and he came to Jesus, and Jesus was like, "You should you go back upstairs. Your son is healed." And a lot of times, when you envision hope, it's not something you would expect. Something like Jesus to say something like that. You'd expect Jesus to like come up and actually like. Touch his touch son you. or heal sure. him in that way, and it's just that Jesus works in so many different ways that it's the hope we have in him is just so crazy that um, the time he has perfect timing, even though certain things we may want at this time. No, I mean, Ray, you said something that's so key. He said, Ray said, genuine hope, and isn't it crazy how sometimes when we have this genuine hope and we rely on this genuine hope, it's, 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 it's just a stronger feeling attached to it that gives so much more amph. And I just I totally vibe with what you're saying. And it kind of goes into salvation. So we have faith, sickness, hope. And Jeff, what, what did you kind of just discover about salvation, you know, just in general, and also how it applies to this, this, this part of the passage? Yeah, um, salvation in general, I think it showed and revealed how salvation is gained made me think of Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, um, so that no one may boast. And this guy had a lot of power and authority, uh, but he um, had no power in this one department. Hmm. And uh, so verse 48, um, Jesus knew what it would take for the man to believe. And Jesus did everything, verse 50, he told the man to go. And the man believed. Um, so, yeah, it truly is by um, it's a gift from Christ and not his own doing. So he was only that moved from his faith to his sickness that he healed his son, this genuine hope that he came home and his entire family was saved, right? I mean, they found salvation for it. They didn't just stop and say, you know, my son's healed. It's great. I'm going to go back to what I'm doing. But so he, he, it pushed his heart over the edge to, to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Just a little different, right? Now, Church, this morning, these are your wisdom people for today. If you see them out there getting a cookie or drinking some water, do not hesitate, all right, because Jeff could save you today. I'm going to let you know right now, okay? Ray gave you some hope today, all right? Laura could heal you. I, I kid you not. She definitely will heal you, okay? And then Christine, she's going to have a lot of faith in you that you're going to make the right decisions in life, okay? If you don't, it's okay. She'll still have faith in you in general, right? But these are your, these are, these are your panel that you're pros for today, that can give some wisdom, okay? And right now what we're going to do is I'm just going to pray for them. And so as they kind of just, just exemplify the story. So, Lord, I just pray for our panel today. Thank you so much for their sharing, their insight. Uh, I really appreciate uh, who they are as people because they have amazing stories with you. And they all resonate differently with, um, with faith, hope, um, sickness, even salvation, Lord. So at this time, follow me. We give up these precious, precious children to you because they're an amazing people. And then may they uh, be able just to share what they shared here, and not just today, but uh, wherever they go, Lord. And uh, our church is so appreciated, Lord.
Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can we give a hand for uh, the panel today? Hold on. You guys can't leave. These flowers were picked single-handedly by Karis, all right? I'm serious. I, I picked flowers out for you, and she's like, no, I want these flowers, okay? So this is one she picked out. So I appreciate you guys so much, and, uh, and obviously you guys know I really like Target, so here you go. You pass it down, Jeff. So give me, give me a hand for the panel again. Thanks, panel. You're dismissed. Thank you so much. Again, during snack time, these are, these are your, your wisdom people that you're going to get into and, and talk to. Now, every time I think about getting back into the Word, all right, I always envision my wife. My wife says, look, on if you're going to go into the Word, you need to explain the Word. I don't care about your fancy intros or what you do or what you say or your stories that I want. I want Jesus. I want the Bible. I said, all right, all right, relax. I'll give you Jesus, okay? I'll give you the Word, okay? We're going to go back into the Word. And we're going to go into the scriptures a little more into what, what John is talking about. Now, this season, we've been talking from chapter 1 to 2 to 3. And Pastor Calvin and Pastor Andrew have exegeted the passage so well. And if you miss any of these, go online to our webpage and download the sermons. I listen to them myself. Literally, I told Pastor Andrew, hey, yesterday, your sermon last week, it's like one like, top ten for me being here the last couple of years. He was like... And, you know, as we're texting back and forth, the little bubbles, he's kind of thinking what he's saying. You know, he's like, I really appreciate it, brother. So we're going to go in the text right now and relook at the scripture, all right? So my wife's somewhere around here probably just going crazy because you know how crazy she is, you know, so loud and so outgoing she is, you know. So do me a favor. Go to verse 43. We're going to verse 43, 44, and 45. And this is what we're going to do. I'm not going to read you the verses, right? This is what you're going to do. For this section, I want you to find a partner and read this verse to them. Right now. I'm going to give you like 20, 30 seconds to go. All right, read it to them. Go. All right, so this is what's going on. So in verse 43, he has just left Samaria. So when he left there... He, uh, I call it the Jesus tour. He was doing his tours of finding cities that he wanted to save. And so the city was out in Samaria. And he left to Galilee because simply he was there. He told people, hey, I am the savior of the world. They believed it. And they were like, we just met Jesus. Okay. So he stayed there a couple more days and went to Galilee. Galilee is a big part. Okay. More like a, it's a whole wide, I call it like the Bay Area. It's a big section uh, that has many cities in there. And in verse 44, Jesus now is in Samaria. He does not go back to his hometown, okay? Because obviously he was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea, near Jerusalem. But he grew up in Nazareth, right? Which is the north part of Galilee, okay? And so he doesn't stop there because people there are just, they're not liking him. They, they don't give him honor. They, they don't respect who he is because of the things that he's kind of grumbling up, especially about salvation. So he bypasses his hometown. He goes to Cana. Now, this is round two for Cana, right? Because we know that he goes there and changes water into wine. This is his first time that he's there in this country. Oh, well, first time there in that city. But the only people that actually would believe that he's the Messiah was his posse, his squad, his crew, that just found out that they were going to be disciples and saw him witnessing this miracle, right? This is part two now. He comes in. And he's going to show people that he is the Messiah. So he's there. Okay. 
And the Galileans know who he is. He's called the miracle man. They, they know that Jesus could, when he shows up, weird, strange things happen. And they do. They simply do. All right. We're going to the, to, to the, next, the next verse. Next verse is verse 46. And verse 46 to 47, I want you to go ahead and find someone new to read to faster than the first time, okay? All right, someone behind you, someone inside of you. If you don't want to read with somebody, that's totally fine. You can borrow yourself quietly. So in verse 46, this, this royal official, the more I get to know about this royal official, the more I find out how amazingly powerful, wealthy, a guy that has all kinds of crazy authority and duties to make different calls. He sees Jesus. He knows Jesus is in town. And he rides over with his servants to Cana. 20 miles back then, it, that's a long 20 miles. If you walk 20 miles now, it's about 10 hours. Two miles per hour. He had horses, so I'm assuming it's probably 2.5 to 6 miles an hour he's going. So maybe that trip take about two and a half, five hours. But this is on you, on a horse, all these hours, okay? There's no radio. There's no snack bar. There's no grapevine to stop over the outlets, okay? It's just a straight shot. And I could imagine he's probably rushing there to meet Jesus because he's there and he's heard he's there. Now, if he's a servant, if he, if he has servants and other people around, the word got around that he is here, he gets there. Now, verse 47, it says this, that when he arrives from Judea, Jesus was, he begged him to come to heal his son. He was close to death. This official, this title of who he was, and all his grandeur, his status in front of his servants, even Jesus' disciples, he begs. I don't know about you, the official had a higher Social status than Jesus. He's him begging Jesus to come home with him to heal his son. Now, if I was the official, if I was him, I would just kidnap Jesus. Brought him back with me. I wouldn't even ask him. I said, what's the point? You're going to heal my son, so I'm going to see you do it. And you're going to respect my authority because I'm an official. I'm going to grab you. But he doesn't do that. He begs. The word begs, Jesus, is powerful. And here's why it's more powerful. Because, see, Jesus experienced this a little bit before in Samaria. He didn't beg, but he asked a woman for some water. As a Jew talking to a Samaritan, that was not right. And in a way, he asked for water from this woman, fully knowing that she couldn't give it. And so he understands this guy, this official begging, because he himself was asking for something. Now verse 48. Verse 48 says this. Verse 48 says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. This miracle man that people thought that he was, all the, all the thought that he was just this, 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 the next thing, right? This next um, it thing to happen, the next trendy thing, right? Jesus says, look, is that all I'm to you? Just a, 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 a show? He responds to him so harshly. This guy is coming for Jesus, writing, begging Jesus. In verse 49, this is my favorite right here, verse 49. It says this, it says, the royal official said, sir, 
come before my child dies. At this point, at this point, he's having his defining moment in his life right now. His defining moment right now of making the call to say that, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I don't know how to fully believe in you, but I know that you can heal my son. And I'm having this moment in my life where I'm coming to you not as an official, a guy that lives in Capernaum that has a house to oversee and a sea, servants, people, people that I work for. I'm coming to you as a father begging you, come with me, sir, come with me. I'm not going to kidnap you. I'm asking you, can you come with me to heal my son? So desperate. At that moment, he had a call in his life. This moment, a defining moment in his life, he's making a decision. And he goes on to verse 50. And it says this, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. I don't know about you. He had a choice. When Jesus said, just go, that moment for him to make that defining moment that he was struggling with, he says, he took him at his word and he left. He could have said, no, you're coming with me, I will kidnap you. He says, no, I don't believe you, Jesus. Can you give me reasons why he will live? Or he's going to have faith, the same faith that he came with right before he met Jesus, that he's going to heal him. And he's riding back home. Okay, literally five to four hours later to find out if his son was going to be healed or not. And in his head, hoping that what Jesus said was going to be true. If I was this guy, I would still be doubting too. But this defining moment in his life, he took it, made the call and said, yes, and he goes off. He goes off. 51 to 52. While still on the way, his servants met him. With the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as the, the time when his son got better, he said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Laura said that during that time, there was no way, no clue of how no when someone sick or getting better. It said the fever left him. There's some doctors in here that we know of, okay. This, this sickness didn't just got better gradually and the fever broke and things happened, his wounds slowed. It just left him. It just left his son. He was dying on his bed. It got better. And this is how crazy rich this official was. His servants rode to him, okay, as he was riding back. That's equivalent to like having like a Bentley, you know, driving home, and then you want to switch a Bentley on the Bay Bridge to go back home, okay, on the other Bentley, okay. He was just so excited that, his decision making in this defining moment changed the way he was. He made that call. And it goes on to, as we wrap up, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live and his whole house believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. That call that he made to believe in Jesus, you want to call it coincidence? I don't. I call it Jesus. You want to call it, uh, who knows back then, right? I mean, it was, you can set on, it's, it's just a crazy sickness. You never know what's going to happen. I call that hope. I call that faith. I call that salvation. He could have, when he came home and said, you know, I'm going to go back to the way that I am as an official. I'm just going to be who I am with all my decisions, responsibilities, and duties. But he gave that up. He told his family about Jesus, about what he did for not just them, 
in him. I call it a, a two-for-one. A two-for-one. When you're playing a game of basketball, right, and you get fouled on the way to the hoop, you want the ball to go in, so you get an and one. Because you get two points and a free throw. And if you're a terrible free throw person shooter, you should practice on your free throws, okay? Because that's a two-for-one right there, right? But he gets a two-for-one. He gets saved. His son gets saved. And his whole entire family gets saved. And here's your application today. As you leave, hang out and chill in the cookie set or get them people. Or you're going to leave for a park. or something to do today is going to be amazing. Here's my application for you today. Give God your life. My opinion, right, my, my humble opinion, I'm just this Vietnamese guy up here. It wasn't your life to begin with. Give it back to him. Give God, give God your life. If God is in your life, then what is your defining moment for you to choose him? What are some things in your life for now that you haven't made a decision for to choose him, to, get, to make the call so that he can reign over your life? I have no idea what it is, to be honest with you. But there's something that you have yet to fully trust in him. I'm asking you, are you going to give your life to him? Are you going to take away your officialness and who you are to let him call your life? Let's pray. Lord, this, this week I got a phone call that um, our ministry there, something happened to some of our students. They made a really, really bad decision. Bad choices. I, I was just so upset. I don't know what to do. But I let you marinate. I remember ministry father, meeting a father. He really wanted to connect, Lord, with, 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 with his son so deeply and so hard that he didn't know what to do. So we met. I gave him the most simple, easiest task in the whole wide world. He looked at me shocked. Weeks later, I found out that he did the exact same thing that he wanted to do for his son. And it broke, it broke a mold for him to see that, that defining moment. And in here, Lord, I don't know where people are at in their walks, their family, their spouses, their children, their work, relationships, either broken or tangled, going through some insane hardships, rather either continue certain things or not, breaking spiritual sins or habits, Right, people here, they, they just don't know you, and they just, they're just so hooked on different things that they call gods. They are our God to them. So as we go into a time of response to you, Lord, may we think about what it means to make you our official in our life, give it up our rights, our duties, our desires, because we need you in our life, because you are our life. As we respond to you, Lord, may we do it in any which way, the way that we worship you. Through a journal, through a song, some ice cream, maybe playing some ball, or some prayer. And if you need some prayer right now, Lord, I ask for you to allow people to come before you here. So that our church and our community just pray for you. Thank you for this time. As we, uh, we honor you, we exalt you, because you're an amazing, amazing God.